Welcome to the Automated Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Wilcox, founder of Tribecto Automations. Here on the Automated Growth Podcast, we're speaking with industry leaders and business owners to find out how they're using marketing automation and business automation to help them grow their businesses successfully. We're going to pick their brains and find out the hints, tricks, and tips that you can take away and put into your business straight away. On today's episode of the Automated Growth Podcast, the very first episode of the podcast, I'm super excited to share with you a conversation I recently had with David Kelly, who is the general manager at kingsumo.com. So for those of you who don't know what kingsumo.com is, kingsumo is a competition platform and viral, uh, viral competition platform, should I say, where you can set up a competition or a giveaway for your audience, you can share it with your audience, and you can incentivize them to share the competition with their audience. And they've seen many of these competitions go viral, and it can be a great, great marketing tool to help you reach new users and get new subscribers to your email list. So I definitely recommend checking out kingsumo.com if you haven't already. Those of you that already know, um, kingsumo.com, it's part of the AppSumo group, or the Sumo group, I should say, um, which also includes AppSumo, which is an online um, Groupon-type store that sells software, okay? I think their tagline is Groupon for Geeks, which I really like. So if you're looking for some deals on software, you want to check out AppSumo as well. Um, but yeah. This was a great conversation. I spoke with David for around half an hour. I wanted to share this conversation with you today. I was uh, I was humbled that he was um, happy to come on the podcast, and we had a great conversation. We talked about email marketing. We talked about the marketing that David does for King Sumo and how they how they they're growing their audience can continue to grow their audience. So, without further ado, we'll jump in, and I will share the conversation with you now. So Dave, welcome to the podcast. Obviously, we've just been speaking a little bit before, um, but yeah, yeah, I'd like to I'd like to welcome you to the first automated growth podcast. That's the that's, oh. the, that's, that's the name of our new podcast here. Um, I love that. So we're changing the name, and I, I feel very both nervous and excited. I hope I don't say anything dumb. We'll kind of. See. <laughs> I feel the same. Don't worry. I'm sure together we'll kind of muddle through it. We'll be okay. Um, so. <laughs> As we've already spoken about, you know, um, there's two key things I wanted to kind of cover off with you today. Um, the first one, which I'm going to dive into straight away, and I'm going to ask you the question, and I'm sure you've got some really good stories to, to tell us, and I'll probably interrupt and ask you some more deeper questions on this point. <laughs> sure. But I think it's really, it's really cool to find out a bit more about the key things that you've learned about marketing as you've helped build you know, this well-loved seven-figure tech brand, King Sumo, and be part of, obviously, the Sumo group, which includes AppSumo and, you know, all the other things that are associated with that. So, yeah, yep. can you tell us about that? Oh, boy. So, uh, the honest answer is I think a lot of failure <laughs> goes <laughs> into building any brand. So, it's funny because you see, like, King Sumo or Sumo group, and you see the things that we've done well or you look at my resume and you see Ramit Sethi's I Will Teach You Be Rich and those types of things. Yeah. But for every one of those, there are probably three to five heavy failures I've had. I can think of one when I was younger, I tried to get an AdWords consulting company going. So I tried to help people with their AdWords consulting. And I remember my first check, 
for my consulting fee after about a month's work was something around $20. And this was about five years ago. And I realized, yeah, I realized at that moment that I just did not map out my fee very well. (laughs) So I think that's a really interesting lesson in marketing, right? Because the truth is a lot of marketing channels are saturated and a lot of marketing in general is very failure driven. So if I think of the best conversion rates, if I think of really good lead generation rates, it still is maybe at most around 12%. And that's if I do a really highly targeted, retargeted type content piece which means that upwards of 80 people are still ignoring me, right? Right. So I think there's something to testing different marketing channels for a month and just reiterating during that month. And then after the month is over, looking at what the results were, if you want to continue, and if not jumping to another marketing channel, and if you decide to continue, just keep iterating and keep testing so that you can keep growing the channel. So do you guys at, at King Sumo and AppSumo and everything that you've kind of been doing over the past um, you know, few years there, do you kind of, at the beginning, do you, do you cast the net wide in terms of channels that you're going to use for, for a campaign, let's say? So let's say you've got a new launch coming up or you know, there's, there's, the, there's a campaign that you guys are running. Do you, at the beginning, do you cast that net wide to test everything and then kind of refine? Or mm. how does that kind of work? Yeah, so I can talk about King Sumo specifically. All the yeah. Sumo brands do differently, and I'm the one that's in charge of King Sumo. Yeah. So for King Sumo, we look at it like this. What has worked for the other Sumo brands, so Sumo.com and AppSumo, that we can potentially use in King Sumo? Right. And here's the interesting part. Not everything that works for the other brands work well for us. So for example, Sumo.com uses content, aka blog posts, very heavily. And for King Sumo, we've noticed that it just doesn't work as well. We're still kind of nailing down what marketing channels work for King Sumo. We recently totally redid our product. So we're wondering what works well and what doesn't work well. We've actually noticed interestingly, which is one of the first times I've experienced this, but it's just looking at the numbers and trying to be objective, that going to influencers, so going to people with big social lists, big email lists, and asking them to use the King Sumo tool leads to what appears to be our best results from a marketing channel we've tested so far. Does that, so, so how, how does that lead to results though? So is that the case where, so for example, an influencer will use the tool and as they're using it, there's kind of like this little, you know, like powered by King Sumo thing, mm-hmm. that kind of link or like, how, how does that, how is that driving the results and getting more people to know about King Sumo? Exactly. Very similar to what you said. So if someone signs up for King Sumo and they launch a giveaway, it not only has our branding on the product, unless some people want to pay and then our branding is still there, but minimized. Right. It also creates this kind of viral loop. So for example, we have someone named Lewis Howes, who your listeners- yeah, the know. School of Greatness podcast. Exactly. Yep. And then we've had Ryan Holiday, Shane Snow, and a couple other uh, pretty well-known authors use our tool. Right. And they're friends of our brand, so they know our products, they know our material, and they know it works. So we had them use our tool, and the benefit is that after people enter the giveaway, and after the giveaway is over, we also have this email that sends to all contestants, at least on the free plans, that say, hey, we saw that you entered the giveaway. Did you know you can also run your own giveaway? Uh-huh. And this is kind of like an on-the-fence type thing to do, and I think a lot of marketing is, is kind of on the fence. So on one hand... Uh, we do see like a decent number of spam complaints on that email. 
And we were oh, actually really? looking at these numbers. Yeah, we were looking at these numbers the other day, so I can speak to them pretty directly. Um, we notice a decent number of spam complaints, not enough that it's damaging our reputation, but I would say like 2x the amount we normally see. But when we looked at Google Analytics, we noticed that our third largest referring source of people creating new giveaways was this email. It was this email. So we know that if it's referring as many people as it is, it's worth, at least for the time being, dealing with those potential spam complaints. It's a double-edged sword in that regard, right? Exactly. And using influencers for that viral loop of getting lots of people to enter because they're well-known and then getting a large bucket of people that we can pitch King Sumo to is really what's valuable for us right now. That's a really interesting one, actually, isn't it? Because the influencers that you guys are speaking with, let's say, or, or using to help promote the brand, so the guys like Ryan yep. Holiday, Lewis Howes, they are, they're very entrepreneurial influencers, right? So yeah. it's the kind of perfect, it's the perfect target audience for you guys to be able to then send those emails out to. Now, I imagine... I mean, I don't know if you've got any data to back this up at all, but I imagine the reason there's such a double-edged sword on that email is because on one hand, their audience, so the, your influencer's audience is mm -hmm. super engaged, but also as well, if it's, a, if it's a viral promotion where the giveaway gets shared a lot and sometimes it can attract people that just are after the, the prize of the giveaway, let's say, but they're not necessarily right. engaged with, you know, yep. entrepreneur, entrepreneurship or small to medium business or whatever it may be, or, or just business in general, then those may be the guys that are kind of hitting that complaint button because you've kind of attracted a bigger audience. So you're always going to get that to some degree, right? Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's a great point. And I know we're going to talk about email marketing in a little bit, but right. especially nowadays with email marketing, it is just so critically important to be very aware of engagement with email. Right. So it used to be that Google would basically just look at like, okay, are people uh, not complaining about your email? Are people opening your email and all these other things? And now it's become less clear what Google is looking at, but it's become more evident that they're looking at different types of engagement. So it's like, are they opening your email? Are they clicking your email? Are the first few people who receive it marking into spam? And they're doing heavier uh, spamming or heavier pushing to other tabs depending on the types of engagement. So we're very, very aware of that. And I think it's an important thing for anyone to note who runs a business where email is a critical part. So how do you guys tackle that in a, so from an engagement perspective then, uh, you know, you guys are a big brand and your list, I imagine is quite large, you know, and you've, you've got different size lists depending on, you know, which brand it is in the Sumo group. But sure. How do you, how do you tackle that engagement problem? Right. So do you do things, you know, like yeah. quite commonly hear about in marketing automation, like, you know, re-engagement campaigns or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, is there anything like that that you can recommend or you've seen work really well to help sort of clean a list or um, keep just the engaged people in the list that can, you know, will help you in the long term or how does that work for you? Yeah, there are a few things to do. And I think re-engagement campaigns are a great idea. Here's the interesting part. We actually don't do re-engagement campaigns for Sumo.com or King Sumo. Right. However, what we do is, so... Sumo.com has a multi-hundred thousand person email list, almost a million people. It's quite large. 
what we do for that division is we actually will target only people who have opened emails in the past three months. So we get very, very specific with showing emails to people who have signed up or opened an email in the last three months. With KingSumo, we have an email list that's probably around like 11,000 people between our free and paid plans. So we don't have to get as uh, picky with a list that size. Yeah. And because this list with our new version of our product is relatively new, less than six months old, we haven't had to deal with any spam traps, which usually are formed after six months. So what happens to those guys after the, like the, the, the three or the six month period? So if somebody, let's say, hasn't opened any emails after that six month period, that they just like stay on your list, but you just kind of move them to one side or like, how does it work? And, yeah. and, it, and I suppose as well, what might, what's kind of interesting is what happens, like, do you, do you, do you, do you feel like you need to delete them? Are they, is there a yeah. use that you can, is there a different use that you can get out of those guys that isn't necessarily email related? So how does that kind of play out? Yes. Yeah, so I like all these questions because they're all things we think about. So the first question uh, is, what do we do with these people? And you're exactly right that we have a dead list, we call it. So these are people right. who just haven't opened emails. And here's my thought on re-engagement campaigns. So I'm on the fence about them in general because it's kind of like if a girl isn't talking to you or, a, oh boy, whatever type of people people date, <laughs> isn't talking to you after three months, it's like they're probably not going to talk to you. They probably just don't really like you. Like if they're right. not opening our emails after three months, even if we try to re-engage them, is that worth the cost of us spending the time and energy and creating the tools or configuring the tools so that we can set up those re-engagement campaigns. I do think it becomes a little more interesting for e-commerce businesses or businesses that can offer, let's say like discounts. It might be a great way after three months when a person has not opened any emails to send a very aggressive subject line and copy and potentially offer 10 to 20% off a product. Right. Although the downside to that is you have to be careful because those people potentially are more likely to churn. So that's how we look at it. But to your other point, what we will also do is if we notice people not opening emails, we'll try to reach them in other ways. So we do a lot of retargeting. I know the group at AppSumo does a lot of retargeting for people who don't open emails. And I think that's an interesting philosophy too. Yeah. And you can build, maybe even go one step further. I mean, I don't know whether you'd want to, but you can build you know, lookalike audiences off, off the, you know, just yes. the general list that you're gathering, et cetera. But I'm, who knows, maybe you don't want people that look like these people that don't open the emails, right? <laughs> I <suppose you> have, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I suppose you'd have to uh, do a bit more digging and testing to see if that's, a, if that's something you'd want to do. That's really interesting yeah. though. I, fi I find that fascinating, and especially your take on, you know, the re-engagement campaigns. Um, yeah, and I think you're right in terms of the e-commerce you know, in the e-commerce example you give, if somebody, if somebody hasn't engaged after sort of three to six months, whatever your kind of cutoff point is for your sales cycle, then it's, I don't know. Could you kind of think of it as a kind of all or nothing approach, right? So it's yeah, kind of like, let's go aggressive, so. either they're going to respond or they're not. And then, you know, maybe after they don't respond to that, then they're on the even, the even deader list, let's say. <laughs> Um, you know, that's right. The, the, uh, yeah. So, so you could move them into that totally, uh, you know, totally inactive zone. It's an interesting yeah. one though, I think. Um, but I suppose that on the flip side of that, you may also get 
you've got to be careful with those customers that do respond to that, right? Because mm-hmm. if they've not responded or engaged with your brand at all in that initial three to six month phase, but then they're just responding to an offer, I suppose what you kind of have to ask yourself from a business perspective are, are these people going to be good customers? Even if I exactly. do an offer, right? You, you know, the best yeah. customers that, that usually come into your business um, you know, whether you're a service or a product focused business are people that are engaged with the brand from the start. So yeah, you've got to ask that question, I suppose. Right. At the same time. I think so too. And like, here's the thing about business and this is the simplest answer to business in the world that I could possibly get, but it is also so incredibly complex as all of us know when we try to do it, really the core business principle is where are your customers located? Your ideal customers located how do you find more customers like them? And it sounds so easy when it's put that way, but of course it's more difficult than that. So really the way I think about it and what we like to do with our business is like, okay, these people are using King Sumo. What are the identifiers about them that makes them a target audience we should go after? So where can we find more people like them? Where are those people located? What words do we need to use when we pitch them? And it isn't always clear, and we're still struggling with that ourselves as a business, identifying more clearly what that is. But I think that's really what it comes down to. I think that is really interesting because, I mean, I've noticed this myself, you know, as I'm kind of building out my business over the past year or so, and also businesses yeah. that I've been involved in in the past. That it, we, we have this kind of idea that they're that the big companies and the big guys around us, like they have this avatar, they have this customer profile and they know that they're the people that they need. But I find that it's a constant re- reiterative process and you never, you know, that it's always changing, isn't it? You know, you can, you're trying to pin down exactly who those people are so that you can try and find more of them. But the reality is, is there's so many variables involved in that process. And also with the, with the landscape of business changing so much over a short period of time, it's constantly Mm. evolving as well. So, you know, at best, I think, you know, in all the businesses that I've been involved in in the past and also in in my business now, I'm kind of rethinking the customer profile, the customer avatar, that ideal customer every three to six months because it seems to change so often. Absolutely. I think that's a great way to do that. And to your point, I think that's really interesting because like the hidden truth of business even bigger businesses that people don't really talk about, but I believe is at least mostly true is like, none of us really know what the heck we're doing. We're all kind of figuring it out. And I think a lot of people think they know what they're doing sometimes, or they attribute success to the wrong things. I think those people who are really honest know that like, we're all just trying to figure it out. Otherwise we'd all be worth like trillions and trillions of dollars and never make any mistakes and always have the perfect customer and never have any difficulty finding a customer. So I think that's an important distinction to make, especially for entrepreneurs, because the path can be so difficult that it's not weird to really struggle. It's not weird to not know what you're doing. Right. And it's not weird to have questions about what you're doing. Definitely. Okay, cool. So let's change gears a little bit and let's jump to the second kind of key thing I wanted to draw on your experiences from in, in this in this talk today. So We've covered obviously the key things you've learned over the, you know, the past few years helping grow King Sumo, Mm -hmm. but I want to draw on your experiences, like you said earlier about email marketing specifically. So 
can you give us some of the key lessons that you've learned um, that allow you to connect and bring value to your audience? Because obviously that's what email marketing is all about. Um, mm. So can you give us the kind of key lessons that you've learned in that, uh, you know, as you've been doing this over the past few years and uh, I say few years, you know, many years. <laughs> I think one of the most important principles is a lot of entrepreneurs know email marketing is important. So I don't think, many people that's like news to. Yeah. What I do think is really valuable is when people write drip sequences, especially, and I've been thinking about this a lot recently, it's really trying to understand where the user is in part of the journey, right? So there, are, I do some consulting every once in a while, and usually it'll be on email marketing or marketing in general. And I have this e-commerce friend who runs a business and he's like, okay, cool. Like let's do this drip sequence of like three to five emails. I want to sell them the boards. And it's like right away he wants to use like very salesy language and try to sell them. Yeah. And the problem with that is like that can potentially work, but that's also a commodity business because if you don't relate to me and you don't understand me, I'm just going to look for what the lowest price is because I'm just not emotionally hooked. So whenever people write drip sequences for new customers, let's say a customer onboarding series or a new email lead onboarding series, I think most can be done within three to five emails, most B2C drip sequences. And it's really like, okay, the first email is probably setting the stage. It's giving them the indication of like, hey, here's who I am. Let me know if there are any questions, et cetera, et cetera. The second email is maybe setting the context of what you're going to say in the third or fourth or fifth email. So it's like starting to lay the foundation, starting to push on that need of why the product or what their issue is. And then the third and potentially fourth, fifth emails can be some type of selling. And with the sequence like that, I just think it's much more effective. It might take twice as long or three times as long to really sit down and think through what is my customer going right. through during these steps, but it'll lead to probably five to 10 times the results. How do you feel about that? It's really interesting that you say this actually, because one of the things that I've been up early in the mornings and really digging into recently is customer journey and mm. how important it is for that front end marketing and sales piece. Right. Yeah. Um, and most of the way that I'm gearing up, our business now and the consulting that we do on the front end is so customer journey focused because I feel like marketing automation and everything that's involved in that marketing and sales automation process as well, not just the marketing automation is so mm -hmm. customer journey focused. And I feel like many small to medium businesses really don't have a grasp on what their customer journey actually looks like. I yeah. find that most of them, kind of have got to a point where they're, they're, they know that they've got problems in their sales process and they know that there are weaknesses and there's some things that they do well, but most times they've gotten to where they are because they've done a good job. They've serviced the customer extremely well and they've worked off word of mouth referral and they've grown to a specific point um, where it's now not feasible to grow any further until you start to bring automation and these things into it. Right. Yeah. And I feel like looping back round and looking at that customer journey and really nailing down is the, is the customer journey actually what you thought it was. Right. Mm. And how mm -hmm. can we influence each one of those stages? And that's the approach that we take to it is 
I, we really want to get a good understanding and drill down with any kind of business that we work with. How can, how can we take your customers and move them from stage to stage with automation? And, you know, whether that's email yeah. or whether it's remarketing or whatever, whatever kind of automation that it is. Um, but really taking stock of those customer, those customer journey stages. Cause we've, I fit well, we see it all the time. Most businesses, small, small businesses, especially that are growing or looking to scale, just don't have a good grip on it, you know? Right. Totally. I totally agree. And what I think is interesting too is nailing down the customer journey is so critically important for developing the onboarding series. And it can also be overwhelming. So I think there are a few things to do. One is to hire a talented consultant like yourself, right? Like someone who knows it. I think if a small business doesn't have the budget for something like that, here's what I would recommend. So a lot of people come in and they're like, man, we have to do segmenting. We have to build this crazy email funnel with like 37 different segments and 45 different emails. And the truth about marketing and businesses I see it is like, go from low hanging fruit to low hanging fruit. So for example, another friend I have, he runs a surfboard shop here in San Diego and I also do some consulting for him every once in a while. Right. He wants to build this like intense segmentation process for email. And when I look at the rest of his business, I'm like, listen, you're not really doing social media marketing. Your Facebook ads aren't really running that well. So it's like, if I can build the simple drip system, get that running, understand the basic customer journey I have, and then move on to other marketing channels, it makes it much easier. Because for me to put in 10 times of work to try to improve a very advanced segmentation funnel with their email and only get two times the ROI, is not worth it when I can put in like 15 to 30 to maybe even a week of work on Facebook ads and get just perpetual income. So that's like a 37 times ROI. So I would caution people to stop following the shiny object <laughs> and not jump from uh, jump down like the path too deep because they just read a blog post about it. It's really like, okay, what when my business is working well, what are the low hanging fruits that I can tackle? And then it's just a constant iteration process and cycling process. Definitely. Definitely. That's awesome, dude. No, that, that's, that's really, really good. Um, so, <laughs> I don't know. I, this, this has been great. So I want to wrap this up now. As I say, we don't want to keep these going on for too long. Um, I could yeah. talk to you all day about it. I could, we could sit here and talk all day, but I want to be respectful of your time. So we'll do a 10 part podcast series. Everyone, everyone <laughs> yeah, yeah well, hopefully you'll come back. So um, I'd love to. Let's do some wrap-up questions. So trialing these out, I'm sure you've got some good, I'm sure you've got some good quick fire answers to these. But um, as I said to you earlier on, I've kind of stolen these from other podcasts that I really enjoy. And hopefully um, we can pick your brains and get some good answers in terms of what you uh, you know are loving and, and, and want to recommend as well. So uh, let's first, do it. I'm ready. <laughs> good. So the first question is: uh, do you have a tool or a piece of software that you love? and want to recommend to other people? So the tool I use pretty much daily is this tool called useloom.com. And it is a fantastic screen recording tool. So I work remotely, our team works remotely. It's really important that I explain things clearly so that we don't waste time and so the team doesn't waste time. And it doesn't always work through written text. So I found these guys probably about a year ago, year and a half ago. and it's just a really simple screen sharing utility I just use in browser. I record a video, copy the link. It's free to use. I sent it to the team. No affiliation, but it works really well. 
I've noticed that as well. I, I actually use Loom as well. I, I love it. I think oh, it's nice. They've, We're they've, Loom they've, brothers. They've rebranded. Yeah, Loom brothers. <laughs> they've rebranded recently, right? I think they've upped the game. Like in the past yeah. months or so. I don't know. It just seems to have. It just seems to have got so much better. Um, I use it a yeah. lot for my clients as well. I suppose just to go on a little side tangent here, because there's a really nice feature in it where you can create folders as well. So. Yes. Like for, for somebody like me who works with clients, I'll create a folder for my clients and all of the videos that I record for them, all of the training that we do, the quick tips and all this kind of stuff goes into their folder and they've got it there to refer back to. And it's free. I couldn't believe it. It's great. Yeah, it's amazing. That's a cool use. Yeah, nice one. So, okay. The second question is, we're all podcast lovers here. So do you have a podcast or if you don't have a podcast like book or resource, that you love and you want to recommend to business owners and, and, and people? Totally. So the CEO of Sumo Group and my direct boss is this guy named Noah Kagan. And he has a fantastic podcast called Noah Kagan Presents. A lot of really fascinating people on there. And it's more about the holistic part of business versus just like the numbers and right. the data. So he talks to some really interesting people about why they do what they do, the real struggles they run into, how they advise people to get past those struggles. And it's really valuable for any entrepreneur, I think. I like it. I'm subscribed. I've been listening. I've been a long time fan of that podcast as well. This oh, is weird nice. because it sounds like we pre-planned this, but we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I, I, I love Noah's podcast. It's great. Um, also, one of the things I do like about it is he doesn't, he doesn't feel the pressure to just post all the time or put podcasts up all the time. So you, so there's only a podcast that, well, he only drops podcasts when, it's, when he's got an interview or something that's super valuable. So it's, yes. there's, no, there's no regularity to it, but you know when it pops up on your iPhone and it says Noah's released a new podcast, you're like, cool, here we go. We've got some. Yeah, so true, so true. Uh, okay, cool. Finally, we want to find out more about you. So how can everybody find out more about you? Can you give us a bit of an overview and, you know, tell us how, how we can find out more about King Sumo and anything that you've got going on that you want to point people at? Totally. So kingsumo.com is our, our free web app. People can go sign up, check it out. It's hundred percent free for them to use. You can also email me david at kingsumo.com and I'll give your listeners since they've stuck this long, a special bonus if they email me. So if anyone emails me, I'll just give them a checklist for running a successful giveaway. So we have seen tens of thousands of giveaways. We broke down how to run a successful giveaway in about five steps on just like a one page PDF. So anyone who emails me, I'll share that. And then the last thing is dmkthinks.org is my personal blog. Sometimes I post some business stuff there. A lot of times I don't, but if you wanna check it out, that's totally cool too. You've got another thing going on, right? Where I mean, I signed up for the, for this week, which is the five minute, the five minute tips, right? Yes. Yes. So this was a fun little project. So people can sign up for this on my website if they want it. Um, really, I just wanted to find from entrepreneurs one tip that they think I should share with my audience. And very much like Noah's podcast, it's kind of sporadic. Like right. I'll send it once every whenever. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm all about that. I mean, it's all about value when we've got it rather than just content for the sake of content, right? Yeah, totally. But I love it. The five minute tips is kind of comes from 
this podcast's early beginnings of the marketing automation quick tips. Uh, I copied you. I copied you <laughs> no. before it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, David, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on and hopefully we'll have you back soon. Likewise, Sam. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Automated Growth Podcast. If you found the conversation useful and you want to get notified next time we release another Automated Growth Podcast, which will be in just a couple of weeks, head over to tribecto.com forward slash podcast and sign up for the Automation A-List today. We'll be sharing with you automation tips, tricks, and of course, use cases, as well as any updates that we have when the Automated Growth Podcast goes live. So just again, head over to tribecto.com forward slash podcast and sign up today to get notified for all future podcast releases. Thanks, guys. See you next time.